welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast. A one-time cast member, a long-time visitor, and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, Dave brings you his unique perspective on the Walt Disney World Resort. The music you're hearing on this podcast is actually from a friend of the show named Craig Brown. You can check him out at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA, as an Apple, or MySpace.com slash SoundA. Craig does a number of different things. Uh, this particular piece is called A Major Suspension, Suspended Glory. So please, do check him out, and we thank Craig for his music. Throughout the show, we ask that there be no eating, drinking, smoking, or flash photography. So please keep your hands and arms inside the moving vehicle at all times, and enjoy the show. Thank you! Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And my thanks to friend of the show, Doug, who's over at geekacres.net. You can check him out, check out his podcast, and be a geek. Geekacres.net. This podcast is part of a series. Hey, good day, everyone. This is Dave coming back with another Disney-related podcast. Over the last few podcasts, I've been talking about uh, dining at the Disney resorts, and specifically, I'm, I've been talking about my own little experience trying to get to every single restaurant on Disney property. And last week, I kind of detailed uh, for you why it became a more complicated task than I thought it was going to be as you know, new hotels were added and new dining experiences were added and places were taken away. But it was still a fun adventure, and you know, I kept trying at it. I kept working at it and trying to get there and get to as many as I could. So I'd like to continue on the tour, taking you around to some of the other properties around uh, Walt Disney World, and then we'll get to uh, Epcot in the next podcast. So back in uh, like 91, 92, while I was touring the restaurants, there were five hotels on property that were not on the resort loop on the monorail. So you had the Caribbean Beach, Port Orleans, Dixie Landings. Yes, they were two separate resorts. The Yacht Club and the Beach Club, which were really sort of one result, resort, but were kind of handled separately. So let's start off by talking about the Caribbean Beach Resort. Now, the Caribbean Beach Resort is kind of neat because it's got this sort of piratey theme while you're looking at the, at the Caribbean, or Caribbean, as you, as you might call it. Um, so it, it kind of has a neat feel to it in a way. Uh, I think it's kind of clever the way it's laid out and what they've done with it. Uh, they had a, a counter service restaurant at which I ate during the tour. We went over and checked it out one day uh, as we were kind of touring the hotel, and that was kind of neat. And then they had a poolside food shack that I think I remember getting like, I don't know, spinach dip or something like that. Uh, there. And then they also had Shutter's Restaurant. Now, when I looked at the uh, uh, the listing of different restaurants that are available in the hotels, I remembered going to Shutter's because of the description and being in the hotel, but I don't remember anything about the food. So it must have been kind of unremarkable or uninspired in some way, at least as far as I was concerned. So while I did try it, um, uh, you know, I just don't remember much about it or, or what it was like. Next up is Port Orleans, the uh, the Louisiana-themed uh, hotel that had just the counter service restaurant. Uh, but one of the things they had on the menu there was some Creole-inspired food, which I thought was kind of neat. You don't see that at most restaurants uh, on Disney property. So I thought that was kind of neat, and it was, it was interesting, and I remember trying something there. And it just struck, at, struck me because it was sort of Creole-themed. What we did um, when we were doing the tour was we went around and did some uh, resort hopping and went around and checked out some of the hotels over the course of a couple of weekends, you know, just went around, checked them all out, walked through the hotels, looked at them. I think we may have even stayed at one overnight just to kind of get a feel for what the hotel was like. But, uh, you know, so that's, that's kind of neat in its own way. Um, that's kind of how we were able to get all these in. Um, 
Next up was Dixie Landings, the uh, partner to the Port Orleans uh, Resort. And um, they uh, have a counter service restaurant, um, which I checked out, a lounge that I don't recall visiting, and boat rights, which, again, it's one of those things where I looked at the uh, restaurant menu, the restaurant listing that was in the, uh, in the hotel guide, and I remember going in there, and I remember looking at it, and I remember eating there, but it was completely unremarkable, and I don't remember what I had. I remember it was kind of nautical-themed, you know, sort of in that, uh, in that southern sort of style, but I don't remember much else about it other than that. You know, it's odd how that works, that, you know, certain things you just, I don't remember. It's funny how I have a specific memory of, very, of, very, of some restaurants, you know, some of the ones that are, like, in the theme park. But the ones that were in the hotels sort of fade in the memory because they're unremarkable in a way. Um, you know, they're, they're very, they're not as ex- interesting or intricate or exciting or well-themed as some of the restaurants that are inside the theme park. So it's kind of interesting how that works. Next up is the Yacht Club. Uh, I always thought there was something odd about the layout of the hotel um, and its companion, the Beach Club. They just have a, an unusual feel with a certain openness openness in restaurants that are either out of sight or um, literally in the middle of the main hallway. And it's really kind of strange. But in a way, you kind of have to take the inspiration that you know, they were trying to make it like a, a beach resort, right, or a, um, a yacht club, you know, something where you would, you would be able to go in directly into this uh, into this specific place to have a have food or have a drink or whatever because it's sort of the New England feel of the Yacht Club. Um, and give the Imagineers and the designers credit for coming up with something that is kind of clever in that sense. So as far as uh, the Yacht Club goes, there are five, five dining options or were there. You had the Yacht Club Galley and I remember uh, going there and checking it out and it was okay. Um, it paled in comparison with Ariel's, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, there's the Yachtsman Steakhouse that I never tried. Um, it just, I'm not a huge fan of steakhouses. I don't dislike them, but I'm just not a huge fan, so I never tried that one. Um, there are also two lounges, neither of which really appealed to me. I walked by them a lot, kind of checked them out, but never ate anything or drank anything there. But they were, uh, they were interesting, and they had a certain charm to them in a way. And finally, had a counter service, you know, sort of burger stand restaurant um, with pretty cool theming. You know, it had that sort of um, yacht feel. You felt like you were in a club in some way. Um, and it was kind of outdoors, and you could really enjoy the nice fresh air on, on a nice day and just kind of sit out there and really look out over, over some of the water and kind of enjoy it. Um, the Beach Club, on the other hand, had three restaurants at the time. It had uh, Beaches and Cream, which was an ice cream shop. You know, as, as we've talked about before, there are a lot of ice cream shops at, around, in and around uh, the Walt Disney World Resort. And yes, I tried this one too. I mean, you, you got to check them out, right? And uh, I, what I found was their sundaes were really good. They were outstanding. Um, something you don't see at most of the ice cream shops. Most of the ice cream shops were just a scoop of ice cream with something. This, they could actually get a sundae here, which I thought was pretty cool. Next up, you had uh, the Cape May Cafe. Um, they've always had brunch there. Now it's a character brunch, but at the time it was just a brunch. And, and I like brunch. Um, I just It's one of the meals that I really enjoy because it's not breakfast, it's not lunch, it's brunch. It's something in between that I, I actually kind of enjoy. I like the spread of food that you can get often at a, at a brunch. Um, so I definitely checked this one out, and I, I really kind of liked it. It's, uh, now the food is very similar to what you get at the Contemporary uh, for your brunch there with Chef Mickey and friends. And it's the uh, Minnie's, um, uh, what was it called? It's, uh, I can't even remember what it's called now all of a sudden. It's, the, uh, it's Minnie's Cape May um, Beach Brunch or something like that. And uh, she's, you know, she's there along with Chip and Dale and a couple of other friends. And, they, you know, they wander around. And it's really pretty neat. And the food is very similar to what you get, to get at the Contemporary. 
at the time it was maybe slightly more upscale, a little bit different than it than it is now, but it was still pretty good. Uh, in both cases, it's been good. Um, I've eaten there uh, as a as a uh, character brunch and just as a brunch, and I really like it in, in either case. It's uh, it's a it's a fun place. Um, and finally, there was Ariel's, and Ariel's kind of held a special place for me. It was a seafood restaurant that I thought thought fit in with the whole theme of the uh, beach club very nicely. They had these um, like fish tanks all over, and you know they had them lit up pretty nicely, and they had the bubbles going in them, and you know it was just it had a certain charm to it. It was really pretty nice. It turned out to be one of my favorite places along the way, and um, I ate there several times during the course of the tour, just whenever I had an opportunity, because it was it was good, and it was had a certain charm. Yeah, it wasn't it was never very crowded, um, and that was probably its downfall, but uh, there was something about it I really liked. Um, and when I went back a few years ago and saw that it was closed, I was kind of disappointed and disheartened. You know, it's like, oh, one of, one of the places that I really liked going has uh, now closed. But uh, one of the things I really liked about it was there was uh, the strolling minstrels. You had a group of um, Dapper Dan types that would wander through the restaurant and play music and sing and kind of go on, and it just had sort of a fun theme to it. Now if I just sit and I close my eyes and think about it, I can actually still hear them singing under the sea. It... Uh, really is kind of fun. You know, it just had that had a certain charm to it that was really different than most restaurants that I really liked and uh, was sad to see it close. Now let's take a tour over toward Fort Wilderness. Good old Fort Wilderness. A fun place to go low, low wattage camping, as you heard me talk about in uh, previous podcasts. At the time, there were two dining options back in the early 1990s. You had the Trails End Buffet and the Hoopty Doo Musical Review. The Trails End is a fun little buffet that was good for a bite before going on a hayride. And, you know, we used to do stuff like that. Like I said, I'd go over to Disney. A friend and I would go over and we'd just go hang out for a couple of hours, right? You go over there, you do take in an activity. Maybe it's a uh, an attraction. Maybe it's a show. Maybe it's just something off the beaten path that you do. So we'd go over and we'd maybe have dinner, a quick dinner, a light bite, like over at the uh, Trails End Buffet. And then go over and uh, take the hayride, you know, sign up for the, uh, for the 8 p.m. hayride or something and just go around and just kind of enjoy the stars and the, the uh, horse clomping along. And, you know, it's just kind of fun. And if you pick the right day, there weren't many people on it and it was kind of fun. Uh, you know, something kind of charming about all of that. Second thing was the Hoopty Doo Musical Review, uh, a musical extravaganza that features food served in buckets at your table. Um, the show was okay and the food was, well, in my opinion, barely okay. It was just sort of, you know... I found it to be a little greasy, but uh, not really my style, but that's okay. It was, it was the fun of it all. Um, it was all entertaining, and it was all about the show, you know, because they were putting on a certain kind of show. It was the country show, and they had the food in the bucket and everything. It was very clever. Um, when I went there, it was actually before my quest started, and because I'd already had the experience, I, uh, I didn't go back during the quest, but that's okay. You know, I, I experienced it. I can tell you firsthand what it was like and, you know, that I wasn't a huge fan, but I enjoy, enjoyed the entertainment value of it all. Now let's move along to uh, Downtown Disney and Pleasure Island. Back in the early 1990s, there was Downtown Disney and Pleasure Island. As we've talked about on previous podcasts, Pleasure Island was still open at the time. There was no West Side, none of that. It was uh, generally quiet uh, in both during the day. And I would love going to hang out there on my day off from work and, um, and wh when I wasn't in school and just get the Disney experience without going in a park. And to this day, I still like going up there once in a while. I told you in my Pleasure Island podcast that uh, I used to like going over there. It was like our last day when we'd go up to, uh, to Walt Disney World. We'd spend part of the day at, uh, in the Disney Village Marketplace um, to kind of hang out before we went home, you know, for a couple of hours before we drive home. 
And, you know, I, I guess I still have that in the back of my mind, and it has a certain place in my heart, and I like to go over there periodically just to go check it out. Pleasure Island was a hoot and a half, so I'd head over there some evenings and just have a little fun. Um, and as I told you, that's a whole other story. Downtown Disney had a fair number of shops and probably half a dozen restaurants. Um, you know, I went. I had to go and look at a map because I couldn't remember what it had in 1990 or so. Um, I realized that now many of them are long gone, just disappeared. And there are all new themed places along the way. Uh, what I remember there being was a burger joint of, uh, uh, kind of in the middle of the whole thing uh, that I rather liked. There was, the burgers were good. The, you know, the food was, uh, was pretty good. Uh, it was kind of like Pecos Bills, as I recall, you know, sort of the, uh, the flame-broiled sort of taste to it. And there was a grocery store-like, uh, a grocery-like store in one location. Chef Mickey's was on the north end where Captain Jack's is now, and uh, so I went there a couple of times. And then Fulton's Crab House was there uh, at the time, but it was a new addition that replaced the Empress Lily, which I loved and missed after it closed. Let's see, there were a couple other spots to stop and eat, but... Uh, you know, I, I was looking at the map, and I don't remember them all that well. I, I just remember going there and, you know, hitting a couple of places and then leaving. Um, I do recall that we made a kind of a thorough trip through there over the course of a couple of weekends. You know, we just head over there and just, you know, hang out at Downtown Disney and hit all the, you know, the, go through all the restaurants, pick the one we liked, and then, you know, go on to the next thing. Um, so, we, you know, we always found a place to eat when we were there, so I'm sure that whatever was open at the time I went to, though, you know, with all the changes and all the things that happened, I, I couldn't tell you which ones were open and not open at the time, unfortunately. Um, Pleasure Island had some kiosks and shops that sold food as well as uh, bar food available in many of the clubs, uh, whether it was day or night. There were two or three restaurants in there as well. We spent some time in Pleasure Island, and uh, have no doubt we noshed our way through the area. You know, different nights, you'd go in different places and have something to eat. Um, the place I'll always remember, though, is the Fireworks Factory, um, which I remember pretty good, pretty well. This is one of Disney's early forays in, into using a restaurant company to manage the establishment on Disney property, and I think it was fairly successful. Unlike taking, say, a McDonald's and putting it in where McDonald's is McDonald's, here was a restaurant uh, management company that was managing a restaurant that was a newly themed restaurant, something outside of the scope of Disney. Um, and it worked pretty well, I think. It was a very clever, co cleverly themed restaurant. The food was good. And I thought they did a nice job of integrating into the Disney framework. Um, you know, I, I'd say that now when they've changed all this stuff and, you know, you've got the, uh, um, you've got the uh, um, Planet Hollywood and you've got the uh, T-Rex the restaurant and you've got some other stuff, you know, they're all, you know, Planet Hollywood, I think, is kind of an odd fit because it's, you know, that's a universal thing that you see everywhere. And I don't mean Universal Studios. You just see it a lot of different places. But the T-Rex restaurant, while there may be others around, it's different, it's unique. The rainforest, while you see others around, you know, it's, you could argue that it's at least unique and uh, a little bit unusual. And having it sit in downtown Disney, I think, kind of works because you, you're bringing together different things. It's not inside the theme park. It's at least different enough where it fits in. You know, so it, it almost works. Um, you know, and I think that's, uh, I think that, that's okay. Anyway, I'd estimate that uh, I checked out all the restaurants over at uh, Downtown Disney and Pleasure Island over time. You know, we were there a lot of nights, and uh, so I got to figure there was, um, you know, we were, we were there eating, so you had to figure we ate somewhere. So that's kind of where we stand at the moment. You know, looking at everything excluding Epcot at this point, um, we, uh, we went through and ate at 74% uh, of all the uh, uh, restaurants on the monorail loop. <clears throat> you 
going through and looking at it, we ate at uh, about 74% of the uh, restaurants on the monorail loop. Uh, a couple I've never eaten at, a couple I ate at before, and a couple I ate at after. In the Magic Kingdom, uh, I made it to 96% of all the, uh, all the restaurants during the 18 months I was doing this quest. I missed only one because it was uh, timing with it being closed often, and that was the Pirata y el Perico that uh, was closed a lot of the time. And, but I give myself some bonus points for uh, going into the uh, Liberty Tree Tavern during my lunch break while I was a cast member. So got to go for that. Studios, I ate it everywhere. Swan and Dolphin ate everywhere. Um, the uh, other hotels, um, I only hit about 73% of the uh, restaurants that were there. Uh, in Fort Wilderness, I ate at one of the two. And in Downtown Disney, I believe there was probably 10 restaurants between the Downtown Disney and Pleasure Island. So, um, you know, I ate at all of them. And, you know, that, that means that up to this point, we've talked about 83 specific restaurants. And I ate at a, um, 80, uh, and that means to this point, we've talked about 88 different restaurants. I mean, 88 restaurants until we get, and we haven't even gotten to Epcot yet. And I ate in an astonishing 83 of them, which is about 96%. So, I mean, you know, I really did pretty well on my quest up to this point. Um, pretty impressed with myself and what I was able to accomplish. And it was, it really turned out, as I said, it turned out to be so much more. Because you get to experience something different. You know, you're only going in and you just want to take in the experience of being in the restaurant. You know, while you may go see an attraction or a show or whatever, you walk into the restaurant, you know, you drive over, you walk into the restaurant, you enjoy it for what it's worth. You kind of soak in the atmosphere. Think about, you know, you're in your hometown and you go into a restaurant Maybe it's one you've been to before that you like, or maybe it's one you've never been to before. And why do you go back to it if you like it? Because the food's good, because the ambiance is good, because the service is good, any one of a combination of those things. Why would you check out a new restaurant? A good, a good review, people rave about it, the food's supposed to be really good there. That's why you go there. And that's what I was experiencing when I went into all these restaurants in Disney World, that I was finding that each of them had their own charm. Yeah, some of them, you know, when you had the had the hotel restaurants, some of them were throwaway. That's okay, you had to check it out and see. You couldn't know that until you went into it. Um, you know, you hear about it at the restaurant and you think it's gonna be good, and maybe it's not. But that's okay, you, you try it out and see what it is. And I'd go back to some of them because the theming was so good or the food was just really good or it had something about it, some character to it that really made it interesting and exciting and different from anything else you've had anywhere else. So. You know, as you look at the theming and the way that the thought process that goes into it, it's not just about the food. The food is often very good, but it's so much more because, you know, the, the magical nature of some of these restaurants, sci-fi dine-in theater, my favorite example. They took something that's supposed to be like a drive-in movie and elevated it to a whole other level. You're inside, but it feels like you're outside, and they made it dark, and they made twinkling stars, and they have the big screen there. And with all the cars, quote-unquote, cars lined up in there, you actually feel like you're at a drive-in movie. I mean, you kind of get that sense of it. And, you know, you're sitting there eating, watching some of these cheesy flicks from the 1950s or so, and it's really kind of fun. You know, it just has a certain charm to it. And it's so much more than just the food, right? It's, it's, it's everything about it that makes it interesting. I mean, if I were to take that food and put it somewhere else, it would probably just be okay, right? Just the food itself. But the whole experience was so much more that it was really a lot of fun and it was really enjoyable and really um, really a good time and I, I wouldn't exchange the experience at all for anything it was that good and that amazing and you know just that much fun I really liked it a lot um, so it was a it was a really fun quest and I, I really enjoyed that 
So next time we'll talk about Epcot and uh, how I did there. So in the meantime, have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. You can, of course, always find my podcast on iTunes under Dave's Disney View. Um, or feel free to visit my website at davesdisneyview.shorturl.com. And I'm hoping to, uh, to bring you some more great podcasts in the future, some things I hope you like. But please do email me anytime at davesdisneyview at gmail.com and let me know what you think or something you'd like to hear more about. And that's my show for this week. I am out. I'll see you. We've reached our destination in the 21st century. And I know, it went by so fast. But don't worry, the future is always in front of us. Hey, thanks for joining me on Dave's Disney View podcast for this week. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to email me at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Now, gather your personal belongings and step off onto the moving platform. The platform and your car are moving at equal and opposite speeds. The music you're hearing on this podcast is actually from a friend of the show named Craig Brown. You can check him out at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA, as an Apple, or MySpace.com slash SoundA. Craig does a number of different things. Uh, this particular piece is called A Major Suspension, Suspended Glory. So please do check him out, and we thank Craig for his music. 